Hi, I'm Cam, and this is the Nerdbook Review. Today, I'm going to be bringing you an interview with Kay Bird Lincoln. She is the author of Tiger Lily, which is a finalist in this year's Spiffbo. Before I get into the rest of the interview, I need to give you the usual spiel. You can reach us on Gmail at nerdbookreview at gmail.com, on Facebook with the Facebook page Nerdbook Review, on Twitter with the handle Nerdbook Review, and here uh, at some point in the near future, again, we will have a new website up and ready for you. As I always ask, if you'd be so kind as to leave a rating and review on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to this podcast, that would be greatly appreciated. It is so helpful for getting our name out there and uh, just getting more listens and continuing this on. I'm going to start doing things a little bit differently from this week. It has been mentioned that some of my episodes are going on a little bit long, and I really enjoyed this interview. Uh, It's already about 50 minutes long, and I did not want to cut a bunch out. So, And also, I think that as I have gone along and doing these interviews, I've gotten a lot better than I was at the beginning at making sure that we really talk about the books. So I think that by the time you get done listening to this interview, you'll have a pretty good idea what the book is about. So there's not really a whole lot of need for me to do a book review at the beginning. I hope you enjoy the interview and the new format. And let's go ahead and get right to her. The Nerd Book Review is happy to welcome Kay Bird Lincoln, author of Tiger Lily and its sequel, The Straw Doll Cries at Midnight as well as Dream Eater and several short stories. Tiger Lily is a finalist in Spiffbo 2017. How are you today? I am good, sir. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, I really appreciate it. I've super enjoyed the uh, reading these Spiffbo finalists as well as several uh, semi-finalists before that. Yes. Well, thank you for asking me. I've also been enjoying kind of going out of my normal reading comfort zone, <laughs> getting into some really interesting books with these finalists. Oh, yeah. There is quite the variety. I've been really impressed with that. Me too. Um, I guess I wasn't as familiar with some of the phrases that have been being thrown about, like grim, dark versus noble, bright and lit RPG. But now I feel like I've gotten an education. Yeah, that is actually true, huh? Um, I I had heard of some of the other uh, genres, but I definitely had never heard of the uh, lit RPG category before, and uh, that was my first uh, foray into that. It's definitely a little different, isn't it? Yeah, but aren't you a gamer? I am a gamer. I thought I remembered that, yeah. Yeah, but I I didn't, uh, you know, I'd never read any, any literature that way, though, so... I had the I had the nerd speak down. I just didn't have uh, any experience with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, this uh, interview though is about you, not me. So, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, um, I'm from Cleveland and uh, ended up in Japan for many years and on the West Coast for many years. And uh, I have two teenage daughters. And I live in the middle of the plains, the windswept plains of Minnesota. And it's actually Iowa, really. Just don't, they call it Minnesota, but it's Iowa. (laughs) Oh, man, the wind. That's one thing I'm not a huge fan of. Tell me about it. Yeah, I'm sure Idaho has that too. It it does. Luckily, we're kind of, I'm more on on the west. We're like the, the, more of the mountain west is what we're called. 
So the the eastern part of the state is where all the uh, the plains and the uh, wind are. So we're lucky here that way. I miss like hills and trees that break the wind. <laughs> 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 yeah, well, when, when you said Minnesota, my first thought was is more up north where you had, you know, all the trees and the lakes and stuff. So, so yeah, you're really Iowa then, aren't you? Uh, yes, I know, right? That's what people think of with Minnesota. And I was like, yay, beautiful forests and beautiful lakes. There's not even one natural lake within a 10-mile radius of me. They're all man-made. Oh, no. It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how did you end up in Japan in the first place? Yeah, so that's embarrassing. <laughs> it involves this really cute boy in college, and he was a Japanese studies major. And until then, I thought I was going to be a psychology major. But then I started taking um, taijutsu, which is kind of like a ninjutsu with him, and uh, ended up kind of getting sucked into being a Japanese studies major. And then found out that the only thing you can do with that is either teach history, which I didn't want to do, or teach English. So I went with teaching English. Well, that's cool, though. And you said you many years. You were there for quite a while then, right? Um, About six and a half years total, but uh, at different times. So I went as an undergrad, and then I went uh, again after I graduated. And then I went again with my husband, who is, surprise, surprise, Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm sensing a theme here. <laughs> yeah, like I said, it's a little bit embarrassing. That's all right. Um, and then you said the West Coast, and then uh, back on to Minnesota after that. Yep. Yep. And that's just sorry. I had to ask you a question. Are you a sports fan at all? Oh, don't even get. Don't go there. Seriously, <laughs> don't go there. That was. That was one of the most devastating things that has happened. Um, I am a vicarious sports fan because my husband is a diehard Vikings fan. And he was absolutely over the moon <laughs> before last week. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, now the Eagles. So, oh, well. Yeah, I don't know how that happened. I mean, I guess the Eagles weren't just the quarterback, were they? No, they weren't just the quarterback, sadly <laughs> for us. Yeah. Yes. So uh, how did you get into writing then? I, you know, I'm a, a huge nerd, really, and have been reading fantastic fiction since I could steal the Isaac Asimov books off my older brother's bookcase while he was at school and have been reading and had a big, big fan forever of various kinds of speculative fiction. And then in high school, I started writing and realized that I could write well enough that teachers would give me A's. <laughs> so I just kept writing and then actually started off as a short story writer and had some things published in online uh, magazines and in paper magazines. And then bit the bullet and decided I should try and write novels. But it's, you know, this is a long time that I've been in this game. I'm kind of on the long path, the long road, <laughs> the circuitous route or <laughs> what have you. This has not been a, a short-term success thing for me. So uh, I've been writing seriously and submitting since about 2000. So, yep, I do not uh, suggest anyone take the path that I took. <laughs> But, you, you know, I think, though, that it's it's actually surprisingly common, though, especially for people that, uh, you know, don't hit crazy big right off the bat and get lucky somehow, you know? 
Yeah, no, I think that there's a lot of um, prep time and drafts and other kinds of writing that people hit, even the really famous, super successful indies, as well as traditionally published folks, I think, have a long history of writing behind them. But and then what we see is when they've hit it big on their, you know, upteenth novel that they've written. Yeah, yeah, it really is, um, you know, like a rare thing that someone gets that crazy lucky right off the bat. You mentioned Asimov. Who are some of your other um, favorite authors or influences growing up? Well, it was mostly influenced by my older brother, and he was a hard science fiction fan um, and also a Tolkien fan and a Tolkien knockoff fan. So I was kind of stuck in those two genres until I realized I could actually go and choose books myself. (laughs) And then I uh, discovered um, Ursula Le Guin, Earthsea, Wizard of Earthsea, and I discovered uh, Sherry S. Tepper. And she's kind of an older author, but she wrote like super feminist fantasy, like crazy, crazy feminist fantasy. And when I was in high school, that really appealed to me. So... That's I've been reading a lot of in high school kind of feminist, thoughtful, philosophical female authors. And then I went totally the other direction and kind of got into really romantic fantasy stuff. Yeah, and I, I think you could probably see a little bit of both of those then in Tiger Lily. Oh. Well that's interesting. I never thought of the the philosophical part of it as showing up in Tiger Lily as much as the kind of romantic stuff but yeah it, just in terms of the <laughs> it's hard to put it in a way that's not going to be like super spoilery you know but like especially with <laughs> with your lord you know like that's kind of what what my thought process was with that i'll probably have to cut this little section out but but that's kind of i mean i understand that she's that you know like that she still has to hide who she is but she has but there's a lot of people in the household that know who she is and they still respect her because of her abilities you know i mean i guess i should be using the him uh pronoun here but just you know for this i guess this is a part that can't be used anyways but that's just what i was thinking oh no you can go ahead and use it like i said i think it's pretty (laughs) obvious if you read some of the reviews what what the gender bending part is here um and you know it's funny that you say that that's the philosophical because to me that's actually my my um contemporary japanese culture anime manga of like obsession that sparked that character. Oh, okay. And you know, my <laughs> wife is the uh, the anime fan of the two of us, and I've I have to admit to have never really been um, like too much into like Japanese culture on my own. So, well, when I was living there, I there um, they have kind of a wide. Not only is there like an awesome history of like warrior women who fought as men. Um, there's the one of the most famous one. Her name is Tomoe Gozen, and she was just, she was just kick butt, man. She she like fought in wars with men's weapons, swords instead of the female naginata. And then there's also like a 17th century sword teacher named Rui Sasaki who like dressed as a man and basically like taught samurai how to fight. It was awesome. So, but in modern Japan, they have. Um, a lot of the arts have gender bending um, components to it. So uh, if you've heard of kabuki or no, they have uh, in, in the history, it used to be just men dressed as women. 
doing the female parts. And not just like men dressed as women in drag, but actors who were dedicated to being like the epitome of what feminine could be. So I saw some of the, they're called onagata actors, and also the opposite, which is there's this super trendy, famous theater troupe in southern Japan called Takarazuka, and they're all women, and the women play all of the male parts, and the women who play the male parts only play the male parts, and they're super famous and adored, and they have huge fan bases. So to me, as a, as a Midwestern American, I was a little bit like, oh, cool. I mean, that's not something you see here <laughs> so much, at least... 25 years ago, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you know, I come from like a similarly uh, conservative type of an area. So, yeah, so that, that would be something that would be um, super cool to, to see and, and definitely open your eyes a little bit. So that's that's the kind of where I came from with that character. I was like, oh, well, you could have a character possibly in Japanese history who would be treated as what they presented to the world, you know, for all intents and purposes, even if they weren't underneath the robes, that's what they would be treated as. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, that's super cool. And so, I mean, we kind of started talking about Tiger Lily already with, uh, um, you know, <laughs> accidentally here, but could you give a little bit of the, like an overview of the synopsis? Sure. So Tiger Lily is a historical fantasy set in this, alternate medieval Japan, which is kind of before the major samurai and ninja time that most people think of as as historical Japan. And I completely twisted the real facts and history of that time to suit my own purposes. <laughs> so I took real actual historical political characters like Ashikaga, who's one of the main characters that we've just been talking about in Tiger Lily, um, and kind of messed around with the history and messed around with the religious history and added magic. And so the story is about uh, Lily, who is born in the year of the tiger. And in China and Japan, and in to some extent Korea, there's a sense of a horoscope in the same way we attribute personality characteristics to Sagittarius and or to Aries or whatever. They attribute those to the year of your birth. And so I made it so that girls born in the year of the tiger were considered extremely unfeminine and not desirable. And so Lily's a loner, as you might guess. And she just kind of hangs around helping her dad take care of her younger siblings. But she has a secret. And that secret is that her mom used to be a devotee of the Shinto religion. And in my book, it's called Jindo. Um, but it's basically Shintoism. And that is currently forbidden on pain of death. Um, and that's one of the things I twisted, actually. Shinto and Buddhism has always existed side by side and uh, often find Shinto shrines and Buddhist temples together all over Japan. But so Lily has this connection to Shintoism and the old gods, and she finds her Lord's son wounded in the forest one day and saves him by singing one of these forbidden Jindo songs. And that kind of starts off some adventures where the Lord's son, whose name is Ashikaga, who we've been kind of talking about, um, 
wants to use Lily to kind of further his own military agenda and prove himself to his father. Yeah, and we one thing that we you know we've had our talk a little bit about Ashikaga already, but in terms of you know he already has um you know a a dedicated loyal following of um, retainers him, himself just because of his good leadership and his personality to start off with, which is is something to say about the Lord. Yeah, and I wanted him to be extremely capable. And thought that somebody who is going to try to present them to the themselves to the world in a role where that world would normally not let them be is going to have to be super good at it. So I tried to make Ashikaga be a very good warrior and very passionate about uh, proving to his father and to his family that he's a capable military leader. Okay, and then Lily, our main character, as you you mentioned, that she has a connection to the magic, and but she is, um, she probably she doesn't feel like she or she's. I'm trying. Sorry, I'm trying to think of the right way to word this. She's not a super confident person on her <laughs> own, and dealing with the the class structure of the rigid, the very rigid rigid societal structure. That's the word I'm looking for. Sorry, I'm struggling so much here. The uh, she's going to to really feel out of her element basically the entire novel. Yeah, because hanging out with the Lord Son makes you go into different classes than you're used to hanging around in. So yeah, and she also has to get used to having a feeling of power and that's something i tried to make really obvious that there are different kinds of power that obviously ashikaga has kind of a life or death he could just basically run her through with his sword if he wanted to and have no repercussions but that she has a certain power over him because of his feelings and also because she knows his secret okay and then a question that i had for um for you is that the year of the tiger as you mentioned, that for boys, it's, it's something very positive, but for girls, it is extremely negative. Is there any sort of like historical precedence for that being the case, or is this something that you, um, you know, added in for the story? As far as I know, in Japan, there is not a horoscope-based history of infanticide, although there is, sadly, a history of infanticide um, in the in the medieval times, but that was more just based on kind of, I don't want to use the word normal, but the uh, whole kind of, and this is very cross-cultural, that boys are more valuable because they take on the family name and they can own land, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, rather than girls. And what more you have is uh, infanticide, the kind that I'm using in Tiger Lily is more actually based on kind of an ancient China thing. Okay. And yeah, that's something that, that is cross-cultural that was actually relatively common throughout the world pre-Christianity uh, and, uh, uh, I guess, monotheism in general. Yes, sadly, that is true. Yeah, that is not confined to Eastern cultures. It's also rampant in the West, was rampant in the West. Yeah, and so I and I've talked about this a lot. Uh, my listeners are probably tired of hearing this now. I have my a religion degree, but I honestly, I managed to make it through with only one 
class on Eastern religions in my entire uh, four years of school. So how did the, uh, like historically, the, the Shintoism and Buddhism interact and how do they interact in your novel? So historically, um, Buddhism came from, you know, went through India, China, Korea to Japan. And so it's kind of a foreign religion. Um, and what was in Japan and is Shintoism, which is kind of an animistic, uh, uh, shamanic kind of religion. Okay. Um, and it's not a religion in the sense of what people who have been influenced by Christianity think of as religion. Like there aren't like priests and there aren't like, you know, beliefs that you have to believe in. Um, and in Japan, what I found out actually living there is that people will say that they have no religion, but everybody gets a Shinto priest to bless their three-year-old children, and everybody goes to Buddhist temples for funerals, and everybody has a Shinto wedding. So Shintoism is a celebration of life, and Buddhism is death in Japan. Okay, so they have quite the like little symbiosis there. They do, and as I said before, almost all the temples have little Shinto shrines, and the line is quite blurred between them. There's only a, um, a few, oh, let's see, like major centers of famous Shinto temples that are, not temples, I'm going to call them shrines, um, by themselves that are pretty famous. And the biggest famous one is in Tokyo. It's called Meiji Shrine. Um, right, it's smack dab in the middle of uh, Harajuku, which is known for fashion and uh, crazy, crazy dancers. But yeah, so in real life, Buddhism and Shinto has walked along a path together. And there's no animosity, there's no outlawing of one or the other. Um, but in my book, I've made it so that the emperor has decided to outlaw Shintoism and the gods, which are called kami in Japanese, they're kind of like nature spirits, um, are have been going to sleep and kind of fading away at the time that Tiger Lily takes place. Okay, and you know, one thing I had to say, what kind of uh, research did you have to do in order to to like to blend this so well? I feel like you had to have had you know quite the. Uh, the, the storyboard set up to, in order to get all these things uh, stored out and still be so coherent? Well, I think you're giving me more credit than I had. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to uh, this little college in Indiana, and one of their big things was that they had an amazing Japanese studies program. And so I spent kind of four years immersed in Japanese psychology and history and a lot of what probably you're seeing in Tiger Lily is actually just the years of me studying it in college as well as many years living in Japan and, you know, going to all of the temples and going to all of the museums. So for me, it was just more kind of a byproduct of my life path. Well, that is cool, though. I mean, I think that, uh, that that's a little bit unique then and, and to, to where some of these were, especially even, you know, the, dealing with like the medieval history, um, fantasy type stuff. I think people had to do a lot more of the, the background research because you're not going to, to be able to, to see that historical aspect as much as maybe you can then it sounds like in Japan. 
Yeah, well, it's a lot easier to see the history of Japan than it is in Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> Very true, huh? So, um, we talked already about the, the complicated relationship between Lily and Ashikaga, but um, I really do feel like Lily is, she's a funny character to be the heroine or the, um, I guess, the protagonist, because Ashikaga, I guess, is more of the, the hero slash heroine. But... Um, Lily does, I, I feel like she's just, uh, she was a, a unique ca- um, protagonist, main character in any of these 10 novels for the finalists, just in terms of how she really does spend a majority of the novel feeling very uncomfortable in her skin and her surroundings. And um, she might come into her own, but I feel like even then she's still, by the end of the first novel, feeling out of place. <laughs> One of my first beta readers of this book told me that she got really sick of Lily whining about how unhappy she was. <laughs> so <laughs> I actually had to go and take some of Lily's like self-deprecating comments and uh, depressive things out. And she still comes across as very uncomfortable in her skin, which is which is funny. Um, yeah, I, I think she is kind of different and definitely different in terms of um, comparing her to the other Spiffo finalist. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's more that I am more fascinated with characters who are kind of broken and who are not straight up kick butt and straight up uh, like Mary Sue characters who are really good at everything and everybody loves them. I like... I like characters who are like, I'm just trying to figure this out as I go along. <laughs> is this right? I don't know. I'm probably not. This is probably not going to work, but then it works anyway. Like that, that to me is more interesting. And you do have a second novel in the, the series out currently, correct? I do. It's called The Straw Doll Cries at Midnight, which refers to a Shinto curse. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then it will follow um, Lily in Ashikaga, I assume, as well, then? Yep, it picks up almost right after uh, the end of the first book, um, and they go to Kyoto um, because of some political maneuvering. Okay, how, how far do you plan on going with the, no- the series, then? Is it going to be a, a duology, or is it going to be more? Um, there is actually a short story also published that is pu- that is tells kind of what happens to Lily and Ashikaga kind of further along down the line. Um, And that's probably the end of it. And that book, that story is called Exposure at Dejima, and it's available for sale online, but you also get it for free if you sign up for my newsletter. Okay, and we will make sure that we plug all of those things at the end (laughs) of the podcast. (laughs) Sounds good, yeah. (laughs) Um, I think that's probably it. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I think that's probably going to be it. I think that story for me is is done um, with those three pieces to it. Okay, and then what uh, what's your next plan coming up then? I'm currently at work on an urban fantasy trilogy. Um, The first one is Dream Eater. It's published by World Weaver Press, and it's about a biracial Japanese-American girl in Portland, Oregon, who discovers that her father, who is Japanese, is not just Japanese, but also is a dream eater called, in Japanese, Baku, a Baku. 
Okay, that makes sense. For some reason, when I was reading your um, your bio on your uh, website, for some reason I was thinking that Dream Eater was a short story, but it's actually a full-length novel then. Yep, it's a full-length novel. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the other two parts of that trilogy are already written and are just going through edits. Well, that's nice. Then, um, and how, what's kind of a, your publication schedule process, do you think, for that then? Um, I think that the next one will be out at the end of this year. Um, World Weaver Press is a small press, so we're kind of going along with their publication schedule. And then the next, the third one, since it's already written, will be released pretty soon after that. Okay, well, actually, that's something then to get into. Um, World Reaver Press, then, um, is a, a small indie press. Is it uh, a Midwest-based, then? No, I think that it's in, actually, uh, I think that the editor lives in, well, I want to say Arizona. This is probably wrong. Um or New Mexico or someplace like that. And my editor is actually Canadian and lives in Alberta. Oh, well, that's cool. Is that your kind of your goal from here on out then is to continue on as a, with, with the small press? Or do you think that you're going to do a mix of self-published and uh, um, have publishers? I am hybrid all the way, man. I, I think that that's a, a really good way to go is to have uh, multiple let's say, multiple fingers and multiple pies. I don't know how to put it. I think it's a good... (laughs) Part of it is that I'm just uh, not at all a person who can make good covers. (laughs) So (laughs) I prefer to let somebody else do that. So... um, and I think that this, the Dream Eater project was, was probably marketable for a small press as an urban fantasy. And uh, the next things that I write um, will probably be self-published. Well, that's cool then. And did you try to get Tiger Lily um, and its sequel uh, published or did you go self-published right off the bat with it? Oh, no. I went through a long process. I think I went through about 40 different agents <laughs> and then went through some of the publishing houses that don't require agented submissions. And then after a while, after being told, you know, this is interesting, but not marketable i was like well i've kind of invested too much of my heart and my time into this so i'm gonna self-publish it and it actually it actually went pretty well for a first self-publishing yeah that's well i mean making it at at this point even though uh the spiffbo is only three years in it's still it's a pretty big deal already so making it as a finalist is is uh definitely something and I have to say, I was totally shocked that Tiger Lily got chosen from my from by the Quillery. That was the book blogger that chose mine because I know some of the authors who were in my little section <laughs> and have read some of their books and thought, "Oh man, there's no way Tiger Lily's going to win against them." <laughs> I think though that's what everybody that I've talked with so far um, has said is that they were surprised that they made it through. <laughs> Yeah, but I think some of the other, well, and maybe this is just me being um, self-deprecating like Lily, but I felt like Tiger Lily was kind of like the odd stepsister of the bunch. You know, it's sh- this book is definitely not a uh, straight up adventure or a lit RPG. It's not grimdark. It's not a straight up urban fantasy. So I felt it's not humorous. It's, it's very... And as you said before, it has elements of philosophy, probably, and a lot of a lot of soul searching and angst. <laughs> so, but it's not, not to mention the gender stuff. 
Yeah, but I mean, it's not uh, YA by any means, though. When you said angst, that's what I think of is YA. Is YA. <laughs> yeah, but no, I think that... Uh, well, and how, I guess, how would you define it if you were uh, throwing out a d- description of this? I usually call it a historical fantasy. Okay. Yeah, I think that is a pretty good uh, um, description. Um, it's probably a, enough of that fantasy element to not be like like an alternative history type of a novel. It's, it's definitely more of a historical fantasy. Yeah, I, I didn't mean to do any major uh, comments on history with this or to postulate different endings to major historical events. This is really just, I want to kind of shift stuff around to make it useful for me to explore Lily and Ashikaga's relationship and the way that Lily and Ashikaga can break those rigid stereotypes and still exist in the society. Yeah, and just this is a question that's not actually book related but um when you were on the west coast did you ever spend any time in portland yeah i lived there for six years okay Mm -hmm. well there we are i i think that uh in the u.s portland is is my favorite uh city by a long shot my wife and i try to go there a couple times a year just to even if it's just for like three days and just have fun that is an easy place to have fun i have to say one of the biggest things i miss is mount hood um, seeing Mount Hood, I used to drive my kids to the library and you could see Mount Hood on the library road, just hanging out there <laughs> in the background. And it's weirdly like Mount Fuji. So I feel like I've been around the same mountain for a long time, even though really they're two different mountains. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my wife and I usually go there and drink a lot of craft beer. That's usually... Uh, <laughs> that is a very good thing to do in Portland. Yes, or yeah. drink Pinot Noir. Either one will work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in fact, uh, not last year, but two years ago, we went to uh, we went there on one trip just because Rogue was having a pumpkin beer festival, and that was very <laughs> good, so... Yeah, I drank a lot of beer when I lived in Portland. It is true. I will not lie. Um, did you guys go to McMenamin's places or stay in the McMenamin's like school hotel? Uh, no, we didn't. You should check that out, man. All right, I'll have to give it a shot. My father-in-law travel. He is uh, the uh, like director of corporate operations or something like that for the company that does like Coors um, is their big one for like most of the West coast. And so one of their, um, like major distribution centers is in, um, actually in Vancouver, but we stay at the, at the, his, the hotel he stays at every time. And it's like a three room suite. Okay. Well maybe you shouldn't check out the McManaman <laughs> schoolhouse hotel, but <laughs> cause that sounds like a good deal. Yeah. Well, Have you been to voodoo donuts and uh, all of that? Well, you know, we had to, we've had to do that once just for the, uh, to just to do the touristy thing, you know? i really like your talk about the hybrid author thing um but let's talk a little bit more than you you mentioned that you've had that you went through 40 editors how did um Um, agents oh uh, sorry i apologize 40 agents so what uh how'd that happen like and, and how does the agent process work Okay, so I didn't mean to say that I had 40 agents. <laughs> I, I submitted it. Yeah, that's what, to, I, that's what um, I was assuming you were meant there. Yeah, many, many agents. Um, well, so I was part of a writer's group in Portland um, when I started to switch to novels. I was doing, and I think it's called The Wordos. There's some, there were some really big name authors who kindly, kindly um, 
suffered people like me who are newbies <laughs> in this group, Nina Kirky Hoffman and Devon Monk, um, amongst others. And they um, gave me, a, you know, all of us who were in that group, a lot of advice. They're actually not based in Portland. They're based in Eugene, Oregon. And so I, me and a couple other Portland author wannabes would drive down once a month to this uh, meeting. And through them, I started hearing about, you know, certain agents who were good. And then, uh, you know, various online started to get their act together and people had agent query tracker. And also Absolute Right was a place that I went for agent advice. And then I just started choosing the ones also who showed up in the books um, that I was reading that I really liked that I thought were historical fantasy related or related to Asia or related to Japan. Um, if there was an agent mentioned by an author in one of those books that I was reading, I would put them on my list and I would just Actually, this was long enough ago that I was mailing some of it. <laughs> now I suppose you don't mail it, do you? I would print out uh, the first, you know, 30 pages or the first 50 pages of the first three chapters and try and somehow find a way to personalize my query letter and then mailed it out and then waited and then... You know, some of them have the, if you haven't heard from me in four months, consider it a rejection, and some don't. So, that process took me a long time. Like, that was about eh, three or four years. It's cool. Just, it's cool to hear about that, though. I, I think that, like, this is the first time with any of these authors that I've actually, that you know, who have talked about this. And, and a lot of them have described, you know, like, oh, yeah, I went through the query process or something like that. But I don't know if maybe it's, like, traumatic to people <laughs> or, <laughs> or what, what. But the, 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 no one's talked about it before. Oh, yeah, it is kind of traumatic. And then you get a callus on your heart and you just are used to it. And you've just gone on to write something else and you're like, all right, well, this is the next name on my list here. I'm sending it out. It's probably not going to come to anything either. So you just keep going and going. Yeah. And then I got down to the end of my list and was like, okay, so there aren't actually any agents left that I would want. So let's start with publishing houses. And so then I kind of did the same thing. Well, that's cool. And do you like doing the the self-promotion and social media aspects of um, your self-publishing novels? Yes, but no. <laughs> um, you know, I've had an online journal for a long time, uh, mostly book reviews and other things like that. Um, and that part I don't mind at all, and I like that. I like book writing book reviews i like writing stuff about um asian culture that i used to do more of i don't do that as much now um and that that part is really fun and i like connecting with other people and i've actually gotten to go i don't know if this is included in your question but i uh this last year i started a group with a bunch of other fant um fantasy authors here in minnesota in my little area of rochester and they, we have started going as a group to like Comic-Con and other conventions to sell books. And that has been fun. That is probably the most fun ever. <laughs> that sounds super cool. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you ever dress up or anything for the, uh, the cons? 
I did for the very first one that, <laughs> for Comic Con. I was like, I'm going whole hog. I'm just gonna do it, and I broke out one of my old yukatas and I borrowed my teenage daughter's like fox ears and then got like a green wig. <laughs> <laughs> I think and I've seen that picture. You probably have, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's what I did for Comic-Con, yeah. Well, and then the next con I went more straight-laced, but yeah. <laughs> that's super awesome, though. <laughs> and so it uh, sounds like you really enjoy those. Are you going to keep going to those then? Yeah, I probably will. The local ones, yeah. Do you sell books there? Um, I do. Not not like a whole lot because a lot of them people who go there aren't looking for um random random fantasy books, but some people just really enjoy talking to you and so they'll come up and they'll talk and they'll either they're writers themselves or they're fans of something that you're a fan of and you can tell that because they're wearing their fandom because it's Comic-Con. <laughs> yeah. And that that is really that part is really fun yeah and then i've even had um this was like the thrill of my life like some a high school student who had bought one of my books at uh, a con emailed me because they wanted me to be the author they interviewed for an english paper and i was like woo i've made it <laughs> yeah i think i'm pretty sure that if you know if that happened to me that's what i would think too i'd be like oh yeah this is sweet <laughs> <laughs> I'm a school assignment. Yes. Well, yeah, that's. That, I mean, that that would be super cool, though, wouldn't it? Yes. And, and then, uh, so you did the interview, and yeah, they sent me questions, and I replied back. Yeah. Ah, nice. <laughs> so let's real quick talk about uh, Spiffbo itself. Have you uh, connected with any other authors because of Spiffbo, or um, did it help your sales? It did. I saw a nice spike in my sales, um, and it's continuing, so I'm very grateful for that. Yay. <laughs> and I hope everybody who is reading Tiger Lily um, enjoys it and is not disappointed. Um, and I, I'm glad that I have not seen anybody be upset about the the gender bending aspect of it because some of the reviews on Goodreads there are people who definitely probably should not have picked up Tiger Lily in the first place but um, because of that their reaction to that but um, your question was about Spiffbo and I have to say like a, sorry I want to get back to that real quick there, there's people that yeah. were upset about the gender bending issue yeah <laughs> I mean the, the, nothing like it's it's not like you get into like any sort of erotic sex scenes or anything like that I don't understand no. what they're uh, like uh, yeah, I mean, I guess maybe they they should only be reading like Christian literature or something. I mean, I don't know what the uh, <laughs> what the uh, what was their issue. Uh, well, it's the the implication of same sex love, right? So I, I think that they were um, unhappy with the having a what seemed to be presented as kind of a traditional romance within a historical fantasy context being kind of spun on its head. I see. I actually had one guy, he was so mad at me. I wish I could find this review. He <laughs> he like he was like, well I was enjoying this until this is my um I just imagine how I he talks. Um, <laughs> I was enjoying this until I this became a progressive liberal fun fest, and you decided <laughs> to force feed everybody um, homosexual marriage laws, and so and on and on in that vein. So that was that was a fun review. Oh man, <laughs> yeah, I 
I would, I mean, in terms of in, if you can, or in, you know, portraying it that way, like I really don't see anything that the average person would see super controversial about the way you portray it. I mean, I guess that some people, you know, that's just L- the LGBTQ issues are just something that they're going to um, always see as wrong no matter what because of their worldview. It's unfortunate, but yeah, that's something that uh, they probably shouldn't have picked your book up in the first place then, huh? No, and I, I sometimes I wonder if I should signal that more, but I also don't want to spoil it, right? Which, of course, we're spoiling it right now, <laughs> this whole thing. But, you know, that's why I put that quote kind of at the top of my Amazon page um, by a, an author who's a friend of mine who's I met in Portland, Tina Connolly. Um, she's, she writes awesome stuff. But um, she wrote, her quote is a beautifully written gender-bending tale. And I almost wish that I could, like, highlight the gender-bending and put it in red, <laughs> <laughs> as like a warning do not pick this up <laughs> yeah i did notice that and and so i was kind of you know like i was i was actually expecting that because of that quote but i still can't believe that uh well i mean some people are just going to be upset with things yeah just to be upset with things i know um one of the other authors um whose book i just finished actually uh, rob hayes where loyalties lie and one of the reviews was I don't care if they're pirates. We don't need cussing in this in these books. And I was like, oh, geez, you know, you can. I wouldn't. I wouldn't read what is a self-described grim, dark pirate novel if I was going to have issues with cussing. Because with cussing, yes. yeah. <laughs> Some people, I think, just like to uh, be offended, just to be offended. Or they need to read the reviews better so they know what they're getting into. If they're going to react to one aspect of the book like that, they should, like you said, not read grim, dark pirate novels. <laughs> yeah, or, or if you know someone's taking the time to write a review on Goodreads, they're clearly um, aware of Goodreads and could have <laughs> looked at, at any of the uh, the reviews. So. But hey, you know, I uh, made somebody rant on Goodreads. So again, yes, I've made it. <laughs> there you are. That was that was your day made. Um, <laughs> uh, so let's. Uh, I'm just about my son's bedtime now. So um, let's go ahead and uh, do you have? I guess first off, anything else that you um, want to talk about? No, I don't have much to say except that this has been such a fun process. I mean, just just like I've been um, obsessively refreshing the Spiffbo Facebook page just because <laughs> I love reading everybody's comments on everything. Like, and uh, just there's this one I can't remember who it is. Somebody went and made like stupid versions of all of our covers, and I love that. And I love the cussing. Um, somebody did a chart of the cusses. Oh yeah, I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that stuff. That stuff is so much fun. And I've, and like I said, I've been really, I, it's been an education to me on um, areas of fantasy that I haven't gotten into. I mean, long ago, I was a Dungeons and Dragons player under my older brother's influence. And I got away from that for a long time. But I've been kind of like rediscovering my love of that. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. And um, it is, it, I have to say the thing that I've been the most excited about is that it really has gotten me to read um, a lot of different genres that I wouldn't have otherwise read. I mean, I probably wouldn't have picked up at l- like five or six of the, the finalists, probably including yours, just based off of, you know, like what I, the rut that I've gotten myself into, you know. I mean, I have to admit, I read a lot of this, the medieval history type fantasy of like, you know, the Western Europe type stuff. And, I, and I'm glad that I'm not, that I think this stuff is, is making me read more. I'll probably read the sequel to Tiger Lily sometime this summer when I get a chance. And 
it's something that, you know, I probably never would have without Spiffbo. Well, that's good. And there's actually a lot more um, medieval fantasy based in Asia and Middle East now out than there was when I first published Tiger Lily. There's a lot of really interesting stuff out there. Yeah, that is something that um, it's still a, a pretty small uh, portion of the market. And I'm sure that's because of the um, just the where the English language predominates, you know, and the, the history of it. Uh, let's real quick, as my wife is from the hallway giving me the look of let's go pretty quick here. <laughs> let's get all of your uh, the places that I can reach you or that anyone could reach you at that you would like them to maybe reach you at. Well, feel free to reach me on Facebook. I'm K Bird Lincoln um, on Facebook. And uh, I also have KBLincoln.com, which is my kind of uh, writing page. Um, I have a WordPress journal that is also KB Lincoln. But uh, I also have over 800 book reviews on Amazon and Goodreads. So I'm, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm actually one of the other things that made me say, yes, I'm awesome, is I, I'm one of the top 10,000 Amazon reviewers right now. Yes. Oh, nice. <laughs> For books. So um, I have a profile and presence there. And if you're interested in Dream Eater, um, that's World Weaver Press. Okay. And you don't have a Twitter, though, do you? I do, but I use it mostly to follow other oh, okay. people that I'm interested in. But um, my my Facebook posts get posted on Twitter. Yeah. Oh, okay. Thank you so very much for coming on. I had a ton of fun. <laughs> well, thank you very much for interviewing me. This has been really an interesting experience, and I appreciate you reaching out to all of us. And you must drink some rogue beer for me the next time you're in Portland. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I have a six-pack of the hazelnut brown sitting in my fridge at the moment. Oh, lucky man. <laughs> yes, I, I really do like my rogue beer. So. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, you take care. 